You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. We're now getting ready to hear Holly Stowers read to us this passage from John 14. In this chapter, in the upper room, where Jesus is there talking with his disciples, trying to help them get ready for what's about to occur, his death, and the troublesome days around that, and even the unsettledness of his resurrection, as the story reveals to us later. He's assuring them that he's going to be with them. He's assuring them that he's going to go prepare a place for them. But he's also assuring them that as they go through these days of trial, they're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that will in turn give them another gift that is so precious. Hear now these words as Holly shares them with us from John 14. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 25 to 31. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away, and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us be on our way. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Holly. And I invite you now to join with me in a brief moment of prayer. Lord, we give to you this time. We give to you our hearts and our minds. We pray that you, by the gift of your Holy Spirit, give us a sense of peace. Uh, Let us create enough space within our life, within our hearts, that we can receive that which you give. Fill us up, Lord. And push out all of those things that would block us from being able to live the life that you give us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. C.G. Newsom was an associate professor at Duke when I was there in the seminary. And one of the lessons that he taught was not a lesson of the subject matter of the class that we were taking. In that class, there was some... uh, confrontation between him and another and a, and a student who just really seemed to be having an off day and also seemed to have a particular contentious attitude towards uh, CG. In the confrontation and the conversation that happened in the class, I was amazed, as a number of us were, at CG's calm presence in the face of this agitated student. Later, in talking with him about that encounter, 
and asking how he could maintain his cool, he said very simply, I chose not to let that person take my peace from me. It was, for me, one of the most memorable lessons I'd ever received from that class and from my time at Duke. The idea that we have a choice about whether our peace gets taken from us was, quite frankly, something I had never really considered. But we are living in days right now, aren't we, where it's very easy to have our peace taken from us. I could go through a whole long list, you could too, of all the things that are challenges right now to feel uh, anxious and stressed and worried, all the things that seem to be so out of our control, the real power of anxiety in the lives of many right now is so much affecting how they see themselves and see their world and how they're struggling with their faith. And so I want to share with you for a few minutes today an understanding of this power of peace and our ability to receive it and hold on to it and live it even in days like today. In John 14, Jesus is with his disciples They are in that upper room. It is the night before his death. Soon he's going to be handed over to the authorities, betrayed. And yet it's his disciples' anxiety that seems to be in the forefront of this story. Jesus is there. He's the one about to face death, but he's the one giving assurance to anxious disciples. Begins in the very first part of John 14 with Jesus reassuring Thomas, that he's going to go and prepare a place for them and that he'll take them to that place. And Thomas says, we don't know how to get there. We won't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one giving reassurance to the disciples because they're the ones who are so overcome by anxiety and fear and stress of the moment They're grieving already what hasn't even been lost yet. They're grieving Jesus, leaving them. And as we go through this chapter, we discover a very pastoral word from Jesus. Everything about this chapter is his trying to care for and give reassurance to disciples in one of the most agonizing and frightening times in human history that night of all nights. He's trying to give them assurance. And as you heard Holly read to us, he says God is going to not only walk with us through these days, but God is going to send the advocate, the Holy Spirit. So that even after Jesus is gone, they will have access to the power of God in their life. And it's in that presence, in that peace, in that power that the Holy Spirit gives that they can live, regardless of what's happening in the days ahead. What an amazing gift. And yet, I wonder on that night if they could even really fully understand, fully accept it. To be told, I'm giving you peace, when your soul is so restless, so unsettled, and when you are filled with anxiety, I imagine for many of them the words that night 
sort of just landed on a shelf somewhere else in the room. Later, when they would look back on this night, they could say, oh, that's when he told us, but it wasn't on that night that we received it. It's pretty clear that as the events unfold, the disciples did not walk immediately out of that room filled with peace. I bet you know something about that. I know that I do. I read the scriptures giving me reassurance of peace, but I have to be honest with you that I don't always in the moment of reading those words immediately feel peaceful. Because the gift of peace is not something that you simply accept from someone else when they say it. It's an invitation of a life to live into. It's an invitation of a gift that you can begin to take into your life, but it doesn't happen automatically. I think to live into the gift of peace as Jesus gives it to us requires us to do a little work, to open up our hearts and minds, to put ourselves in a place where we can actually receive it. Otherwise, in the midst of stressful days, it simply sounds like a platitude. Gee, that'd be nice. But right now, I'm too stressed to receive it. To receive peace from Christ is not to receive a commodity. It is to be entered into a relationship. We don't get peace from Jesus like we get ice cream from the ice cream seller. We, we get it because we're in relationship with him, and relationships take time. They need to be developed. He's talking to disciples in this story. They have a relationship with him, and even then that was going to take some time for them to really live into this, and the assurance of this night was that that relationship was going to continue in spite of everything around them that said they were going to have no hope and he was going to be taken from them, Jesus is saying, this relationship is not over. And perhaps that's a first starting place for us to hear today. In the midst of everything that's happening around us and in the midst of a future which is uncertain, the assurance that we can live with is that our relationship with Jesus Christ can remain strong, in fact, grow stronger. As we gather together for worship today, we can't rely on so many of the ways in which we found strength in worship because in days past, we found it when we saw each other. In those conversations we could have with each other in classes, in the hallways, before worship, after worship, to talk about our lives, to share our stories, to know that we were not alone in a very real sense. But we're finding that even when we are not able to do that, gathered together in this community, we are finding strength. And most importantly, we find that the relationship with Jesus Christ can still be vital and real. In fact, this might be a time for us to practice even more, to rely more on the ability for our lives right now to take time to practice living in relationship with Christ in new ways. It's important to do that. And like so many other disciplines in our life, it takes a little effort on our part. On Father's Day, you saw that uh, three of our grandchildren uh, became liturgists. Uh, it was a surprise to me and a wonderful one. Leah was one of the Bible readers, uh, actually shared the Lord's Prayer. And uh, Leah's learning to play piano. 
and she's actually pretty good. She takes to music. She's musical. She has a lovely voice. She loves to sing. And so, like all young children, she is starting to play, and she's had to go through this time where she just had to keep playing songs over and over and over again. When we were there on one of our visits, she was proud to say, let me play a song for you, Grandmama and Poppy. And she went to the keyboard and she played it straight through, no stops, no stumbles, no music in front of her. She had owned that piece of music so powerfully, practiced it so many times that it had become a part of her. Now, I'm sure that in some ways, the rest of the family had to endure some of that practice time. If you have children <coughs> who've learned how to play music, I expect you know what I'm talking about. But when the music begins to be part of you and, they, and she could sit down and just play it, it was a wonderful thing. She was so proud. To practice being in the presence of Christ is something like that. We can say we want to be with Jesus. The disciples said that all the time. But when they were in hard days, they had to stop and rethink and practice more, spend more time with him and intensely focused on him. So how do we do that? Well, there are all kinds of spiritual disciplines one can turn to. One of the ones that I really appreciate in my life is examine prayer. Examine prayer is a very simple four-step prayer that you practice on a daily basis or as often as you choose to practice it. The four steps are pretty simple to remember. The first is to take time away from everyone else and everything else and be with God. To invite God to be with you in that moment, or perhaps it's easier for you, sometimes it's easier for me to say, to invite Jesus to be with us. And so to simply sit down and say, Jesus be with me. Some people put a chair across from them so that they can imagine Jesus sitting there. But to take the time just for a few minutes to acknowledge the fact, Jesus, I want you to be with me, might be a revolutionary first step for some of us. We're so busy. We're so stressed. We're so afraid. We don't take time to say, Jesus, I'd like to spend some time with you. So the first step might simply be that radical and that much of a gift. Take time. Thomas Rudd, a country singer who I particularly enjoy, has a song entitled, A Beer with Jesus. I love the song because it's authentic to say what he would love to do is sit down and have a beer with Jesus. So whatever imagery you want to have about what you would like to do in that moment to spend time specifically to be with Jesus. And then once you've established that you're in the presence of Jesus, once you've invited Jesus into your day for a few minutes, the second step is to offer gifts of gratitude. Give God thanks. Say thank you to Jesus for the things that have happened in your life for which you are grateful that God has done for you, the blessings that are yours. That second step is so powerful because it helps you remember that you are blessed, that God is giving you gifts. It helps the disciples in their journey as we see going forward in hard times to remember that Jesus was with them. And no matter the hardship, as Paul would write about it in his story, it was all worth it because Christ was with him. And once you've given gratitude, once you've identified your blessings and thank God for those, review the day. 
sit back and in your mind, what happened? You know, like you're supposed to do with your spouses when you go home, right? Talk about your day. Talk about your day with Jesus. What happened? What went right? But more than a list, what about it was right? What, what did you do to make it right? What about that can you remember to do again when you're in that same situation? And what went wrong? And not only complain about what went wrong, but think about why it was wrong and maybe what could be done different the next time some situation like that happens again. Review the day. Not simply rattle off what happened, but really reflect. And reflect on how you were in that day and and how you reflected your faith and maybe where you didn't reflect your faith. And what, what, could, you, what could you do? What, what could you have done different? Reflect and share those with Jesus. And then the fourth step. Put all of it in God's hands. Put all of it in the hands of Jesus. Now that I've reviewed the day, I've given thanks, I've had a chance to put all of this day that I've been carrying, hand it over and let Jesus take it. Let Jesus receive that gift and let you quit carrying it. And then go to bed or go on to be with your family or whatever the next activity is, freed from everything that's been happening that day and simply be with Jesus in that moment. That four-step process is a simple gift but it's a powerful gift. And if you want to find peace in your life, I suggest you think about doing that. Right now, I think part of the problem that gives us stress and anxiety in this world is that we can't quit looking at what's going on and what's not going on. And people get so agitated and anxious about the things that drive them crazy, but they keep focusing on it, keep thinking about it. Well, maybe it's time to take a break. The world is not going to go away if for a while you step away and focus on the things that feed you and bless you. It could be any number of things, right? I mean, it could be your hobbies. uh, It could be looking at water. You know what one of mine is? I love fireflies. And in July, the fireflies are coming out, and I love going out in my yard at night and looking at fireflies. For me, they're just magical creatures. And the light that God has placed in these fireflies as they flit around my yard, as I remember times when as a boy I captured them in mason jars and I've done that with my grandchildren and then let them go. I don't know, it's just something about them that I enjoy. What is it for you? Focus on the things that feed you, the the things that can help you focus on something other than all of the things that are stressing you. They can bring you peace. They are gifts from God. Receive them. Over the years, I've spent a lot of hours with friends of mine, parishioners, family members, who've been afflicted with various forms of addiction. Working with AA, and I'm so proud of the fact that this church has a long-standing relationship with Alcoholics Anonymous. 
and we're seen as a place where it's safe to come and begin to find healing in that program. And of course, part of that program is a focus and a sharing on a prayer called the Serenity Prayer. Serenity Prayer is pretty well known. I don't know if you know the fact that it was first written in 1943 by Reinhold Niebuhr. He was a theologian and a pastor, and he wrote it for his congregation. In 1943, if you don't remember your history, war, World War II, was still raging, and at that point, it was not at all certain what the outcome would be. The world was at war with itself and across the, across the world. And people were filled with fear. So he wrote this serenity prayer. He wrote it to give an opportunity for those who were scared, facing an uncertain future, to be able to offer to God a prayer that that would also remind them of how they could find their peace. People who deal with addiction have adopted this prayer into their life because it also helps them find peace for their life in ways that nourish them rather than finding addictions that destroy them. The prayer is a powerful prayer, and I want to share that prayer with you right now. The prayer that most of us recognize when we hear it goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. Those four lines, each one of those lines, a powerful message, might be part of what you could do right now in your daily devotions, in your walks when you take them. Start praying that prayer and think about what those words might mean for you in the context of your own life. Recognize that God can give you serenity, peace. That There's this possibility to accept the things that we cannot change, and to accept them is not simply to say, oh, well, but rather to get honest perspective about what's really happening so that our fears don't begin to help dictate to us how we're feeling, but rather we at least get the truth. We know what's really going on. And then the courage to take action, recognizing that so many of the issues we face right now are far too large for any of us to do on our own as far as fixing them, but doing something positively that brings about health and peace for all is worthwhile, even if it's directly addressing an issue or maybe just caring for somebody else. That's how we find peace in the church all the time, isn't it? We start taking care of each other. You can still do that where you are. And the wisdom to know the difference to lay down what you cannot control and to pick up and do the things that you can is a faithful discipleship walk. Now, that's the prayer most people know, but it's not the entire prayer. So I'd like to share the prayer with you as it is in its entirety, starting again from the beginning. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, Courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, 
trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with Jesus forever in the next. Amen. If we could just live this prayer, if we could realize that Jesus is giving to us peace that is real, we can have it. We have to do some things to receive it, to realign our lives that we can begin to really live it. I invite you to begin thinking today, what could you do different this week so that you can have more peace? Pray the examined prayer. Pray the serenity prayer. Take time to focus on the blessings that God has given around you. Look at the things that make you happy, like fireflies. Reach out to others. Complain less. Bless more. All of these are ways in which we receive this gift of peace. The promise of the Holy Spirit the disciples received, Jesus has given that to us as well. And so, it is my prayer this week that you will find ways to receive the gift. Open your hearts up to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because in this world, the power of God's peace remains stronger than all of the unrest around us and within us. That was true for the disciples. It was true in World War II. It's true today. May it be true for us all. In the name of Christ, amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.